It's the When Fishing Podcast. Applying techniques. Then I put the sea rigs on the A rig. fresh ideas. They can't all be good ones. Talking stories. <laughs> reports. About, about not that observation. Probably too close. All to make you and I better fishermen. Hey, howdy. Hey there, neighbor. Hey there, Tim. Uh, I got two reports for you, and I got uh, I got some other shit. So, uh, rewinding back to uh, the last couple trips, uh, I wanted to take a look at the the, 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 the the horseshoe bite. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but if you have, uh, there's been uh, there's been a lot of sand bass being picked off of the uh, off of the horseshoe out of off of San Pedro, Long Beach area. Uh, like the Newport landings and the Long Beach landings have been uh, getting a lot of good quality sand bass, a lot of good quality sand bass. And uh, my uh, my technologies have uh, kind of, and the fish have kind of changed everything for me where I was I was doing pretty good on my own for a while, finding my own bites in, in kind of uh, weird nooks and crannies. But uh, I... I've, I started to uh, flail quite a bit, and so I wanted to take a uh, take a gander at that. And so uh, I recently, uh, uh, so I recently picked up a Mercury six horsepower outboard. I think I've been I've been through that. I don't know, it happened. And uh, so I I needed to do some some rundowns with it, make sure that I wouldn't uh, get get fucked uh, with it for lack of maintenance. You know, you gotta update everything yourself. That's the best. That's the best uh, insurance policy, I suppose. And so, uh, as soon as I got it, I did the, the, I did an oil change, and I did the lower unit gear case oil, the gear case uh, lube or whatever the fuck. I did that. Um, I haven't done the impeller yet, but uh, I did. Re- uh, I changed out the uh, the propeller uh, from a, an aluminum to a stainless steel. So I was checking that out. And then I was doing, um, what else did I do? I did a, a I lubed, I, I got like a, the high pressure um, lube gun to uh, lube the, the, what do you call it? Just, you know, when you're, when you're turning, when you're turning the outboard on the tiller, like, you know, and, and the, the, when it sways, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a mechanic, trust me. Uh, it's uh yeah, that stuff. There's there's little uh, lube lubrication nipples, and so uh, uh, I applied that because it, it's been like just kind of bleeding out a lot of dirty grease, and so I was like, I don't know, that's a that's a lot of grease that's come out so far. So let's make sure there's some fresh stuff coming in and uh, get the rest of that dirty stuff out. So I did that, and it's still uh, it's still kind of bleeding out the fresh grease. So I don't know if it needs a new what do you call it like a if there's like a rubber gasket that I should replace so that it's like uh, it doesn't bleed out so easily, I feel like that might be a thing. But uh, but it's performing fine as it is, and um, yeah. So I also got a a new fish finder. My my I had a what do you call it? It was a Garmin Striker. Uh, if uh, it's like baby's first fish finder, and it's like a real fish finder. It's not like one of those that shows uh. The little like Jesus fish icon uh, on the on the sonar. Uh, it it does you know 
Uh, it shows as legitimate of a of a sonar reading as any, but it's just small. It's like four. In, it's like the size of like a sort of a large. It's like a four inch. I think it's a four inch display, and it displays, you know, like like a phone, like vertically more than rather than like horizontally. So that one crapped out. I don't know what happened. Uh, I'm sure it's taken on a lot of water damage over the years. I've had it for like three or four years. So uh, and just the worst. Um, it's it's yeah, a lot of water damage. So uh, rest in peace. Moment of silence for that one. And then I got a a, a Garmin UHD sixty four CV. I found it on uh, Amazon for like two hundred fifty bucks, which is a uh, a steal as far as I'm concerned. Uh, a lot of other places like I couldn't find it for less than three hundred on eBay and stuff like that. So it's just one of those weird things where. It, I think there was a sale somewhere, and then, like, Amazon matched the price. Um, that's what I'm assuming. I think I saw that somewhere. So uh, I got that all rigged up, all wired, uh, and uh, got got it to turn on on, like, the, the Garmin Striker. And uh, I thought it had the—I thought the 64CV had—is that what it, Yeah. Uh, I thought it had a Navionics compatibility— but it turns out I gotta go to the next one. Uh, the next one's like six hundred bucks or something like that for the for the same size. So uh, I'm just gonna stick with the Navionics on my phone, which is uh, you know it's definitely way better than nothing. But uh, I was really hoping that I would be able to just put my phone away and not get it wet all the fucking time like I do. It's in a waterproof case, but even still, like then you eventually your phone gets wet or you get a little fish slime on it and then like you're trying to like move move your move navigate on the map and you can't or it like tries to it starts like hitting ghost buttons and stuff like that if you know what i mean or like you like try to slide it and then it goes oh you want to navigate okay we're gonna start navigating and like blah 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 oh you want to like like mark this spot it's like no i didn't even my finger wasn't anywhere near that 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 button so please fuck off so um yeah i still got to deal with that but whatever um uh, but the uh 64 cv does have um the uh like a it does have a real um uh, map on it installed on it i think it's like blue blue lake or blue maps or some bullshit like that i'm not terribly interested in it it's not as precise as uh the relief maps on navionics but it's better uh it it's actually you know it does have context on the map. It has like contours and stuff like that. While the, uh, the Garmin striker was just like a white blank space. So you were just like navigating through the void and which is not fun. Not cool. It's like, like, Oh, I'm in fog. Like, like, you know, IRL and in my GPS, that's really fucking helpful. So yeah, that's, uh, uh, so it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade. It's bigger. It's super nice to have that bigger screen. I didn't real like, I kind of knew it was going to, like, hit me over the head. Like, wow, this is real nice. But then, you know, as soon as I get out there, it's like, you know, it did not fall short of expectations. Just nice, nice big screen. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm still not really going to, like, split screen the map unless I'm, I don't know, in fog or something like that. Uh, and my phone's dead. But, um, yeah, so... 
one day one day I'll get a, a fish finder that does the that does the fucking uh, navionics. But in the meantime, uh, I'm happy with uh, with what I got. So I tested that on this uh, on on this first trip that I'm getting back to now. So I went out to the horseshoe. I wanted to test out the fish finder and I wanted to test out the uh, stainless steel prop. Uh, I was going like pretty much straight in straight into like a foot to one to two foot chop wind chop um, like all the way out to the horseshoe and uh, so I was going a solid like 12 13 which is pretty good in chop which is really good in chop on my boat um, my little dumb inflatable uh, it's a smart inflatable and uh, it's uh, yeah so the, the I can't get a good feel on what the top the top end speed on the SS prop was based on that but uh but i was happy with uh with how i was getting out there and then uh yeah and then the fish finder was marking shit i was i found some good stuff um uh horseshoe is a very wide general area there's a lot of uh fairly large uh rock outcroppings and stones and buried treasure and so there's uh uh you know I, i popped up on my first one saw the the bass as advertised they were uh from the bottom all the way up like i think it was like 70 feet of water and they were all the way up to like 30 foot or something like that so they were just you know up and down the water column doing their own all doing their different things so uh yeah but none of them would bite that was a problem so i i dropped down like irons on them i dropped down swim baits on them i dropped down flukes on them uh nothing was really happening so then i moved over to the next stone and same same deal like plenty of fish but uh none wanted to uh eat and then on my way to my third stone all of a sudden i lost um uh, uh my my engine sputtered at uh at a uh, at full speed and uh i was like what the fuck is that you know so it sounded like a fuel issue because it was still like doing okay at idle but like it didn't want to go past idle so i was like what the fuck i'm like at this point i was like nine miles away from the harbor and so I couldn't figure it out in that moment. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll be bounce balling all the way back to the harbor at like two and a half miles an hour. And uh, so I did that and I was, you know, sort of miserable. Um, and uh, I was trying to figure out what the issue could be. And then two hours later, uh, the uh, I was like half mile outside of the harbor and I was like, all right, like I have less to lose right here than I did way back there, so let's try a few extra things. So um, I started taking a video so that I could show my mechanic. And uh, when you take a video of something mechanical, two-thirds of the time, this is the rule for me, two-thirds of the time it magically disappears. And so uh, I take a video with a cowling on, and I'm like, look, like I don't know what the fuck, but like, you know, See that? It's at idle. It's fine. See it? Like, go past idle, dies. And then, like, I pause the video, and I take the cowling off, and I'm like, night, start it. And I'm like, all right, you know, I start pointing at different stuff. It's like, I don't know, man. I don't see, like, a fuel leak. You know, everything seems secure. And, like, you know, carburetor doesn't look stupid. Like, I don't know. What the fuck? And then I just, um... I throw it into full throttle and then it goes and I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm glad that it's working, but it's like, I just spent like, you know, I just, that kind of ruined my day. And, uh, uh, and then like, then I was doing this weird thing where, uh, I re I think 
I just put the cowling back on kind of funky where it was like like uh chafing against the something on the carb where like I would drop it down to idle and then it would stay at like 2000 RPMs and then it would drop down to, you know, 500, 700 or whatever. And then once I put the cowling on back on like right, it, uh, it was dropping down as it should with no delay. So then I was like, all right, it was like 11 AM and the tide, the primo tide had passed and like it had been like a real light white caps all morning. So it didn't really matter to me. I wanted to run it. I just wanted to keep running the outboard to see if I could recreate the problem and if I could solve it again, if so. And so uh, I ran down um, the opposite way. Instead of the horseshoe, I went down towards like HB flats and uh, poked around there. Couldn't find jack shit. Um, and the, the bite that I had found, I was able to do really well for the first half of the year on the HB flats, just like kind of puddling around from stone to stone. Um, just tro three-way trolling, three-way rig, trolling swim baits and or crankbaits and uh, over the tops of them. And uh, I caught hundreds of bass uh, in the first half of the year. And then uh, right a little after my my for my old fish finder died, a um, couple weeks after that, that bite died. So I couldn't figure out, like, are the fish gone or are they just not hungry? And then, uh, so I ran back over those areas just to see, like, confirm if the fish were gone. And they were, like, fucking, like, I'd never seen so few fish there at any point in the year. It was just dead. And so, uh, that was a bummer. My pets, they ran away. So, um, what did I do from there? I think I went over to Iser's and, uh, I marked a lot of fish over there and then that was, uh... I didn't get anything, and then I went home, and I got skunked. Can't believe it. Bass are supposed to be the easy thing. Not the... Whatever. So <laughs> so I went home, and I learned. I had to learn how to uh, fix my own carb. So uh, uh, I so somebody put up a video of how to, uh, how to clean, how to do all the maintenance on a six-horsepower Mercury and or Tohatsu. It's on YouTube. It's like an hour long. It's very informative. Uh, seems like it's the guy's first time, but he did a great job with it, and he didn't. Fu I, I think he fucked one thing up. He he fucked up the uh, transmission rod at the end. It's it's it is finicky. Uh, I've done it before, and I fucked it up real bad. And uh, so I sold uh, I sold my old Mercury because I didn't want to deal with that transmission rod again, the way that it was set up compared to I've seen like um, videos of Yamahas that are way easier to deal with on that end, uh, on the lower end, and. Uh, yeah, so uh, I got the inspiration. I did it. It's very easy. Uh, there's only like uh, three or four things that you got to disconnect from the carburetor, uh, and then just you know put it all in one piece into a bag and took it home and soaked it in carb cleaner overnight. And uh, it was just a very fine layer of soot on the inside. Uh, nothing crazy. Nothing that seemed like it would get in the way that would you know kill the engine like it did. So maybe it passed through. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, so then I took it out again a couple days later. Uh, this time, um, like, once again, uh, you know, rest in peace, Joe DiNardo. Weatherman got it wrong, uh, and uh, <laughs> Joe DiNardo would have got it right. And they, uh, as so as soon as I get out of the harbor, it's like just I get stuffed with wind chop, and I'm like, all right. So I go over to Iser's. It's like uh, uh you know, uh, the wind chop was 
on off my uh off my starboard so it wasn't such a big deal instead of going to the horseshoe i would have eaten it for like eight nine miles and it was a little bit worse than the last time so i get to isers and the uh, and the marks are just not looking very like bass like uh there's a lot of them but it looks like whitefish to me so then drop down some squids start getting a lot of you know uh bait stealers uh end up pulling out a, a white fish and then switch over to the sabiki because i ended up catching a mackerel and i want to load up on some more mackerel in case i want to go for threshers again or whatever mackerel for stick baits mackerel for kite we'll get into that and uh so uh, ended up with a fish count of something like uh uh, seven chub mackerel, four jack mackerel, four whitefish, three square spots, two senoritas, and a partridge and a pear tree. What's the last one? There was one more. What was the last one? Oh, a blacksmith. It was a good-sized blacksmith. But, yeah, it was. Uh, that was not a bass day. I went out there for bass, and I caught everything but. So uh, uh, sometimes it be like that, son. So... Uh, yeah, I was only out there for like three hours or so and the wind was already up and it kept coming up. So, uh, I bailed and, uh, took home and vacuum packed those mackerel and, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the trips. Yes. Next order of business, kites. Um, Chris has inspired me uh, to do uh, um, to do unthinkable things from the inflatable once again. Shout out. Um, he started making it work. He started pulling a kite. Uh, it made it look possible. So uh, I went and splurged. Uh, I got a gift card for my birthday for, from my girlfriend. Thank you. Um uh, to shark bait, and I still had a lot of money on it, so I went and spent uh, the rest of it on a on a Boston big game kite, um, and uh, yeah, so uh, I opened that up just yesterday, and I started looking at it, and it's just a fucking mess. You know, it's like, oh, this is why I didn't want to kite fish, but no, it gets better. So uh, yeah, there's just all this like white string that's going everywhere. It pulls from all like four corners, and then it comes down. To two different spots. There's one where you connect it to your to your line, to your kite, to your kite reel, and then there's uh like um, the bottom end, which is like the storage bag, which is also uh what can hold like a water bottle or whatever in order to like um keep the kite from sailing too high. If you have like higher winds, it'll just go straight up, as I learned. And so um, yeah, I opened it up. Um, looked at it. It's like, how am I going to rig this? Uh, I kept like, I've Googled how to rig a kite a couple times and I never really saw how to actually rig the, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I saw different things. So I just like, it was like, all right, let's figure it out how I want to do it. And so, um, there's like a loop, uh, to connect your, uh, 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 the kite to the main line. So I put, I just put like a cat's paw to a, a solid ring right there. Uh, and then I, uh, connected that to a snap swivel, I think. Did I do that? Or maybe I just tied it. 
I think I just tied it straight uh, with a 60 pound mono. Um, no, 80 pound mono. It doesn't really matter. There's only like, as far as when I was using it, I I don't think there was more than like, like five pounds of pressure at any given point. But um, yeah, so then uh, I rigged it with uh, 35 feet of 80 pound mono. And then um, on that, I had a sliding um, like release clip doodad. Um, and then uh, in front of that, I put a bead and then an 80 pound swivel. Really tiny little guy. And then um, I got a kite reel a while back, like a one-to-one, um, like for like recreational kite, like kites not for fishing. Like you, you can get like a kite reel like that. And uh, it has it do, it has a, a stopper thing and uh, like an anti-reverse lock. And, uh, uh, and it has a little line, one little like, line guide and i made sure that the uh the swivel could pass through that that's why i got the mini swivel so i think the um i think the line is like pro it looks like it's like 50 pound dacron or something like that uh i could be wrong i don't know but uh yeah so that's that's the whole kite rig for me that's and so i went and tested that getting it off the ground at uh when you're just standing on the ground fucking sucks that's why i've 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 tried flying kites like two times in my childhood and it was really fucking annoying. Uh, which is why I never got into that. I don't know who just, I don't know how big of a community the kite flyers is, but good on you for sticking with it because it is fucking bullshit trying to get your kite off the ground, um, in the first like 20, 30 feet. So, uh, uh, yeah. So I got it off the ground. It's like, yay. Okay. Now let's, um, now let's clip on the uh, the flyer, <laughs> and so I'm I'm at the park and the my flyer's like dangling, and then you know dangling off the side of the kite and uh, I got it up and uh, and then but then the the flyer with the hook in the back was hooking the grass and it was just a fucking it's like okay I figured it out but um, next time let's let's bring a hookless lure to test this this is dumb so uh, yeah. I got the kite up, so now I'm gonna uh, test it out. It seems like the bluefin are just like fucking MIA locally. Uh, seems like they're all back to Tanner or something like that. So uh, they might be. I don't know. Um, not hearing a whole lot about them. Sounds like uh, pelagics in general in SoCal have like really gone MIA. You know what? I saw some uh, uh, some report from the Santa Barbara landing that uh, uh, they were they found some. Uh, some foamers up in out of Santa Barbara. I'm not sure if it was coastal or like near the islands or out past the islands. I know that uh, somebody mentioned in a report that they were looking for bluefin and then they settled on the Jurassic Park area, uh, which is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's behind uh, uh, Santa Rosa. There's a big old flat for like at least 10 miles or more. That's like uh, 200, 300 foot of water or more it's fishable it's definitely less than 400 foot and it's just a lot of rocky bottom um there's just so much of it that there's you know plenty of room for rockfish to grow big and hardy and uh 
wild enough environment in that particular part of uh, the SoCal Bight that's it gets pretty windy and not fishable a lot of times. So, uh, yeah, so bluefin were up there. So uh, not down here, though, as far as I know. Uh, they were for a good while, and I just, uh, I don't know, I just, I, uh, I missed it. Um, my technologies uh, were uh, not being agreeable at the right time. It happens. So, um, yeah, so I told you about the uh, about my kite rig. So I think what I'm going to do with the kite uh, reel, as far as, like, securing it to the boat, like, I'm not putting that in a rod holder, obviously. It's just, like, a, it's just a disc with a handle. Um so I think what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to find like a giant carabiner <laughs> or like or like just like a little section of rope or something where I can just like um, like snap it down or tie it down like really fast and like not worry about it. And then, uh, uh, yeah, and then maybe I could maybe I could keep the, the middle section from being like the middle section is the handle. And so if I can like. Maybe if I could lock down the handle part, and then the outside arbor, which is the real um, the the spool, if I can keep that mobile, then like I can just keep it tied to the side of the boat, and then I can just like reel back and forth on it as need be. That would be cool. That's a good idea. I like that. Let's let's put a pin in that one. Um, and then uh, and then what am I? Well, what are we flying? We're flying yummy flyers. Um. I don't want to spend, uh, you know, thirty dollars on uh, on one dead flyer. I'm just, it's just not my budget. Uh, I also don't want to spend a hundred dollars on a Nomad flyer or a, or a whatever Cal California flyer. I'm not sure. The big, the big hard plastic ones. I just can't. I can't afford that. I'm not going to swing that until uh, maybe, maybe after I uh, I figure out how to get bites on the kite, then uh, then I can move forward with that but uh there's a website or there's a manufacturer of yummy flyers in um the pacific palisades california um they're i think they were just uh power handle what's their website it's like something like just power handles um real power power real power handles or something like that and uh they happen to sell yummy flyers and uh I was looking for the big ones because like the standard one is like eight inches and I wanted to see if I could get any bigger because like the, uh, you know, the, the flyers that people really like flying are like 16 inches or whatever the hell. And so I found one, uh, I found this seller and, uh, they sell 10 inch, uh, yummies. I don't know if they're custom poor or what, but, um, it was three for $10. So I ordered them and, uh, got them. They look good. I just rigged them up yesterday. I'll tell you how I rigged them up. Uh, I'm obviously not, this is my first time doing this, so this is not, um, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I basically followed, uh, I think I might have done something a little different, but I basically followed Ali Husseini's video. You can find that on, like, uh, the Local Knowledge YouTube. Um, uh, I liked what he did, uh, and the reason I liked what he did is because... Um, this is this is all very personal preference. Um, I don't know if I'm going, you know, from the little boat that I have. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to uh, want to like drag back like a a fish over like a hundred pounds uh, back to the harbor. 
because anything over I think I'd say like anything over like 125 would probably not fit in the boat and uh, uh, and also would probably not all fit in my freezer and fridge so um, I have to be like re- reasonable about that and I also like the idea of um, uh, going more into like a catch and release with uh, with tunas you know catch and release is pretty common uh, with with a lot of other game fish and with tunas, uh, it's, it's very, you know, it's, you know, uh, bloody up the decks. Let's kill them. And uh, I get it. They taste good, but, um, bluefin, I don't really care for. I think I've gone over that. Um, I'll keep some and see what I can do with it, but I'm not going to catch it. Like, uh, I don't want to catch like a 175 pounder. And in the first like couple bites go, Oh, I didn't quite treat this right. This is going to be a pain to eat. So, um, yeah, so uh, that being said, the reason I like Ali Husseini's style is because he uses one hook and no treble. Um, so I think it would be a lot easier to uh, catch and release if you just have one single hook. So um, basically, uh, I take that 10-inch Yummy Flyer. Uh, I take I took a 400-pound mono. Uh, I used Iserline first string. Uh, I know a lot of people talk about jinkai um use use you know use what you believe in uh with all your heart and uh never look back so uh yeah so you're gonna uh i took six to eight feet of the mono um and uh i got crimps the appropriate crimping tool um a nine knot what is it uh seven five nine one fuck you know what i'm talking about seven is it seven five nine one i know this off the top of my head most days uh it's the it's the classic southern tuna hook you know what i'm talking about seven six nine one seven six nine one stainless steel so i bought some like no name brand they seem solid they're stainless steel they're sharp see what happens with them um and uh, I got like five for ten bucks on eBay, and so uh, I got that hook. I got crimps. Uh, I did the uh, the little twisty loopy knot. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm a pro. Um, so like you know, put the put the line through the through the crimp, and then uh, put it through through the eye of the hook twice, and then uh, twist uh, around that loop. Uh, what is it like three times, four times? Uh, two, three, four. Uh, it, it looks nice and symmetrical and then you pull it tight, um, into like about the, maybe a little narrower than the width of, or the circumference of your thumb, um, uh, for the loop. And the reason I do that is because I don't want to buy like the fucking chafing tube and like among all these other things, uh, when, when I'm like, when crimping mono, it's just like why do you, why do we gotta why do we gotta have like nine products involved in like in just in in the substitution of a knot when you go over like a hundred pound test like I uh I made a uh, I tie direct up to uh, one fifty and then after that it's like okay this is getting ridiculous so um yeah I like the loop I like that little twisty loop knot as they call it all over the world.
twisty leaf knot. And so they, uh, uh, so yeah, uh, do that, uh, put it back, then put it through the crimp. Um, you can do, uh, your, you can, you know, uh, take your lightoid and, uh, heat up the end of the tag end, mushroom it, pat it down against the back of the lighter. Um, and then, uh, uh, that doesn't work quite as well. Uh, that whole mushroom thing when you're doing the uh, uh, the the twisty loop knot compared to if you're gonna do like the sleeve on the inside where you can just pull it all the way tight as tight as you wanted um, because uh, yeah you need you, you need some room to play around with to uh, tie that loop knot correctly and then by the time you're done with that uh, you're gonna have a tag in sticking out the end of the uh, uh, the crimp on the other side it's probably gonna be like an inch or two and then you don't want to uh, heat up and compromise the strength of uh, the main line uh, while you're uh, uh, you know put trying to mushroom the tag end so I mushroomed the tag end and I just left it like an inch long and so oh uh, the next uh, the, the thing that I should mention is that uh, like Ali Husseini did um, I drilled holes in uh, from like the center of the back of the yummy flyers tail like in between the two uh, fins, um, I I drilled a hole with like a one sixteenth or three sixteenth inch um, drill bit, uh, like diagonal up uh, at like a thirty degree angle up towards the back, uh, and then I uh, put the uh, the hook through that. I threaded it through so that um, the the hook is the point is facing up and it's threaded through the back end of the tail and the eye is sitting like on top of the back of the uh on top of the back and then i drill another hole um like that's like a 45 degree angle uh from where from like the so there's there's a little like through hole through the nose into the belly of the yummy flyer and so what i did was uh I drilled like a 45 degree angle hole from the back into that through hole. Um, and then I would like bend the yummies back, like, um, I guess bend its butt forward. Um, so that it's like kind of crouching and then you, uh, thread the 400 pound line through the nose and then it pops out the back instead of, uh, out the belly. There's that little belly cavity. Uh, you're going to circumnavigate that, go out the back, and then you're going to uh, apply the crimp. And then you're going to, um, uh, you know, create, you're going to secure the hook to that and crimp it and all that stuff. So then the, the eye of the hook and the crimp and the knot are all sitting like in the midsection of the back. And uh, to me, it looks pretty clean. I did, uh, the first one I did, uh, I posted... Uh, my first like two up on my Instagram story. The first one looked a little bit shitty. Um, I made the knot a little bit too big. And so it looked like it was like in line with the uh, hook point. And so I wasn't sure if I've kind of felt like that would um, uh, impede on the, uh, the hooks hook points ability to actually set. So uh, I redid it and I actually ended up redoing three or doing them three or four times uh, on three separate lures and uh yeah uh now they look all right uh i'm i'm pretty happy with it 
and uh, I learned I learned a couple ways not to do it. Uh, uh, can I share those? Uh, if I can remember them, I know that I I experimented one certain way that uh, I was like I was like why not? Like you know if if I'm gonna fuck up, let's do it all in the in the first time I do this. Um, also, I cut so the. The yummy flyer's tail, the lower side, is like an inch and a half long, two inches long. It's longer. And then the uh, higher side of the tail fin is shorter. Uh, I cut the um, the top tail fin back because it was like, you know, uh, occupant wanting to occupy the same space as the hook shaft. And uh, I just didn't see any real need for that. Um I can see how the the lower tail fin is like a rudder and realistic, and like the fish are going to see the lower, uh, the lower half of the bait, the upper half of the bait. Like I can do whatever to you know. That's that's where I have the hook eye and the crimp and all that stuff, and then that's where the top of the hook comes out. So if I if I cut the back of the tails plastic back a little bit, I don't think that's too bad. Um, what was I? What did I do? Because I really like fucked it up. And I was like, wow, I really thought that could work. And then it didn't. Um, damn, what did I do? I wish I archived that or something. What did I? I don't know. Anyways, um, so, yeah. So uh, uh, I'm going to have, for the rest of the rig there, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna set up that, you know, that six-foot leader and that bait. Uh, I'm going to uh attach it probably you know a snap swivel or something like that or maybe um uh maybe just direct braid to uh to the swivel on the end of that thing uh and i i'm gonna put it on my uh avid 50 narrow with a 100 pound um eight strand braid and uh fly it and see what happens and i'll uh let you know when i do that um, I'm not sure if any time in the near future will be a legitimately good reason, good time to do that, but, uh, uh, but that's a thing. Yeah. So, uh, that's all I really have to say about the kite. Uh, you know, um, oh, I, I should just mention the, uh, I, I really liked, so when, when I was researching the kite setup, one thing that I noticed was that uh, you're gonna read? You're gonna end up uh, reading a lot of articles on uh, uh, kite fishing for sailfish, and which is you know exceptionally common and really productive. And uh, something that they like to do is that they'll fly multiple baits from, uh, uh, from one kite. And so you'll find uh, on the market um, a lot of the kite release mechanisms. Um, there's like a little hook that you that there's either like a screw that you tighten down to keep it like as a tensioner or there's a rubber band on the one that I have or like a, a very hard rubber band, but a rubber band nonetheless. And so the one I got is a slider. Um, you're going to see a lot of ones that have like a, a loop wire loops on either side. And I think those are for like uh, the sailfish style. And I didn't really want to do that because uh, then I would have like, you know, X yards of line and, uh, hanging out as I'm trying to retrieve the kite I didn't want to like it to be stopped I wanted all the line all the way up to the kite to come back to the reel and uh 
So I found I found one at Sharkbait that's uh that's a slider, uh, and so you just like uh it'll it'll stop either um some people will put wax twine uh on the main line, and uh, the the sliding I guess there's uh you can get them in packs where the sliding uh kite releases will uh uh like the holes in them will be uh in varying sizes so that like they'll they'll all get stopped on different size swivels that you'll have put up and down the line uh so that you have like i don't know how it, how exactly it would work it would be like um i guess like smallest swivels closest to the kite and then like that one would have the smallest hole and then like the other ones would have like larger holes and you'd have larger swivels and so as each one goes out uh it would they would get taken away on the kite line by that swivel. And, uh, but yeah, it looked like there were some that were like fixed and I'm not sure how, how they how people would deal with that. So, um, uh, so I did not solve that issue. If that's an issue for people, uh, I, I just went with the sliding one. Um, and I'm only going to run one and it's, uh, going to be, you know, just one small swivel with the bead. And, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I had some issues uh, trying to, like, you know, abstractly put the kite together. So um, uh, so I like how mine came out, how my whole setup came out. And I'll see how it works on the water. Maybe I'll need to switch out some things. But um, but overall, uh, on, my first, on my first try of putting it all together, it came out pretty good. So I'm happy. We'll see. We'll see how it how it turns out in the in the future if I if I get bit or whatever. So there's all that. So what's the game plan? What's the fucking game plan? Uh, I'll tell you what the game plan is. Uh, I am probably going to go out tomorrow morning, um, and, uh, I'm probably going to go look for bass. I might, I mean, it's constantly changing. That's the problem. Um, the forecast that is, uh, the swell looks fine. Tide looks all right. Uh, the wind is like bouncing around. It looks like it could be really glassy, like at sunrise. Um, and, uh, on the other hand, it hasn't been. Uh, all week, so I don't know if I can trust that. And then on top of that, uh, the main concern here in Southern California is we got Hurricane Hillary coming. Whoa, a hurricane in Southern California. Now, now, it's not going to be a hurricane by the time it gets over here. It's going to get to the border, and it's going to be like, whoa, 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 America, oh, not this place. I'm out. And so, uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to die around San Quentin. Uh, that's what I saw um yesterday as i was looking at it where is it now it is um it's like what like 300 miles southwest it's in the revelagados of uh uh down south of uh cabo san lucas and it is flying right now um station about 100 miles away says they're getting 57 mile an hour wind we're seeing like 70 70 to 80 70 to 80 mile an hour winds right now out of it uh it's gonna move pretty quick over the next couple days um 
Let's see where we going. So yeah, it's fucking riveting podcasting right here. Um, yeah, from like noon, noon on Saturday to like the night, it's it's gonna move quite a bit, and then through Sunday morning into the into the day, it's gonna move. Um, up to, it's gonna hit a what do you call it? Um, Sagros Island, um, uh, at about seven a.m. on Sunday, and it's still gonna have quite a bit of speed. What's going on over there? And then, it's gonna hit like, yeah, it's gonna get all the way up to the border by the night. But by that, by the time it gets to the border. It's going to be a pretty pathetic little storm, if you can even call it that. I don't know what the hell happens. To, it's weird. Why does it do that? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm no meteorologist. Um, but uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna drive uh, it's gonna drive up some some warm wind and rain though um, into SoCal. Uh, regardless of, even though we're not gonna actually get like, we're just gonna get the aftermath of it. So that's um that's what that is. Sorry, uh sorry if you know I'm no Joe Donardo, but uh well, I was seeing some like flash flood warnings of like like several four to eight inches or something for, for Baja. And uh I'm looking at this right here for California. It looks like we might get like an inch or something like that. It's gonna we're gonna get upwards of thirty mile an hour winds. Um, unusual, but um, not too crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean it's still gonna be fishable Saturday morning. Uh, Sunday, even Sunday morning, I feel like you could get out. Nope, never mind. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, it's just gonna be windy as all. The swell won't be too bad. I saw at one point it was projecting like eight foot swells for Sunday night or Monday or something. But, uh, yeah, it's not looking good. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to do a, a, what do you call it? I'm going to do a webinar with the Windy app. Not windy.com, but with the Windy app. I'm going to do a webinar with them. Uh, I use them for my forecasting uh, on this on this podcast and in general, and I've been using them for several several years, I believe. And uh, the thing I like about them is uh, their I mean their their interface is just really really nice. And uh, uh, something that people should consider about it is that uh, they have. Uh, multiple wind models uh, that you can compare in one place. I, it's a uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight models, um, and they all uh, they all come. Uh, their their data is each compiled in slightly different ways. Like um, I was I was reading about it. I I'm not gonna give you a good synopsis right now. Maybe I should uh, I should cut this now and uh, bring up some synopses. Uh, for uh, why you would choose one over the next. I've been using the GFS27 uh, model, and it's been relatively accurate uh, for the longest time. Um, 
I just recently heard the NAM uh, is a really good local forecast for uh, uh, the Americas, and it uh, the one that is used around the world, which is the one that's used around the world? I think it's like the ECMWF, I think. Um, uh, like, it's a very generalized one, and it doesn't take into account uh, elevation changes. And so when you're in SoCal, you're going to have elevation changes that affect uh, the ocean conditions regarding the Channel Islands and regarding a couple uh, major points. Uh, I would consider those points to be like... Uh, uh, Point Conception, Point Doom, um, Palos Verdes slash Point Furman, um, and uh, and then the, all the islands uh, will will create either um, you know calm spots or like extra strong spots depending depending on what's going on. Um, but yeah, I really like the Windy app because they have that model. Um, Everything else has been pretty uh, pretty accurate for me for the longest time. Um, and it's pretty it's really easy to look at. Uh, and if you're into the so lunar charts, they got that, which is like the little like uh, is it a, is it a good time to fish today? Well, like it's either like you know poor, fair, good, or excellent. You know, um, it's I think that so lunar chart is entirely um, uh, comprised of basically like uh lunar uh it's just like a different form of reading the lunar chart where like if you're in a half moon you're just gonna have like poor fishing if you're on a full moon and like within like three four days of the full moon you're gonna have excellent fishing and then i'm not exactly sure uh how it decides uh like what the difference between good fair and poor is but um you know, sometimes it's nice to look at that and go, oh, there's, uh, it's supposed to be excellent today, fuck it, let's go. Or, like, you see that it's bone-dead, poor fishing, and you go, I want to prove that shit wrong, fuck you. So, you know, uh, it's available to you. You don't have to have it. You can customize this shit. But, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I just read about the NAM one and how it's, like, fairly localized and exceptionally accurate but it's also only goes out 72 hours in advance which uh i really like to start tentatively planning my trips like a week with a week in advance especially like with like this um uh this little segment on the podcast where like i'd say what the game plan is uh it really has become like the point where i look at uh the weather for the week and go oh yeah like let's do Monday and Thursday, or let's do Saturday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever the fuck. So, um, uh, so the NAM is is kind of like it's cramping my style here with that because it's only going out to Sunday night, and then I'm trying to like tell you about it, and then it just I'm just run into a wall. So I gotta do something about that. I gotta change that out for the sake of this, I suppose, and then just use the uh, the NAM model. Just look at it in a little. Com- comparison chart um oh but yeah so uh uh actually let's fucking customize that right now let's cut that cut these out get back over to gfs yeah so gfs is telling me that uh Tomorrow morning is still probably going to be a little bit choppy in the morning, but 
five mile an hour winds um, through the night and into sunrise and get gets into 10 knot winds in the afternoon and then uh sunday is absolutely fucked monday is absolutely fucked um and we're just gonna have another one of those weeks it looks like where it's just like a little bit windy in the morning just enough to kind of like fuck with you and your if you're in a small boat um but uh but not so bad that like it's gonna turn you around so whatever you want to do out there uh, the Basque, uh, like I said, uh, I don't know what happened with the bass. I think I heard there's some still at the horseshoe, but like at Isers that day, it was like, it was not happening. And like the cattle boats that were around also looked like they were not doing well. I didn't see any bass caught by anybody when I was out there. Um, I, I imagine there's still gotta be like a lot around somewhere, whether they're just hugging the bottom real tight or something, or if they're, uh, uh, or if, you know, that was just a bad day for them and they'll come back up. Um. I would guess that the horseshoe is probably a good place to go. Um, offshore, it didn't. Uh, I've I heard that it was very dead. Uh, if you're looking like uh, outside of uh, like you know Long Beach or Newport down to Dana Point or whatever, like two oh nine, two sixty seven, fourteen. Not looking very good. Uh, so uh, you know go go out there and take a look for yourself and uh tell me what happens and um uh, yeah i uh windy app webinar august 24th go check that out um yeah they have a website landing page uh for you to learn more about if you don't have the app you should get it uh you'll learn about it learn why it's the superior one for weather as a as a as an outdoorsman and, uh, uh, yeah, otherwise, good luck, be safe.